This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash England. Right, well, thank you very much for inviting me to um, do a quick session at the start of this um, afternoon. Um, it's been really great to be invited and... Um, this is, this is written off the back of some of the uh, presentations I've been giving to some arts organisations who've been involved in the space, um, particularly to them about finding the way through the minefield of rights when they start wanting to use BBC Archive, um, which it, it is a real maze. Um, I'm going to, not knowing kind of the knowledge uh, in this room, and I'm, I'm aware that some of you are very, very qualified, in fact, far more qualified than I am in terms of academic qualifications about rights and intellectual property, um, but I'm not sure whether some of you are coming at this kind of from a, from a basic level, so I, forgive me, I'm, I am going to kind of go through just very briefly um, the kind of basics. I'm going to tell you a bit about kind of to kick off what, what uh, our department does at the BBC and uh, the scale of it. Uh, and then come on to uh, specific um, types of the ways we contract um, copyright holders and performers, etc., uh, the different models. And then I'm going to go into kind of practical advice about what, what you will be faced with um, from a rights point of view when do you want to use existing content. Um, and um, uh, hopefully give some guidance and practical tips at the end. So that's where I'm coming from. Um, just a quick note, as this is being filmed and it's going to be online and you're probably all, some of you are tweeting, etc., I'm, I'm necessarily going to have to be quite careful with what I say sometimes. Um, if uh, I am going to be around this afternoon and um, what, I'm more than happy to kind of, for you to come up to me and ask me questions or if you've got specific queries or you want a bit of advice, that's absolutely fine. I don't mind you coming up to me afterwards. Um, so that's point one. Um, generally, rights as a subject and intellectual property has come right up the political agenda. And um, not only politically, but economically, uh, the government have been looking at this in terms of how to boost the UK's creative economy, how we can support creative economy better, how we can make it easier to use rights, um, etc. And I'm sure some of you are aware of those um, movements and, and initiatives and consultations that are going on as we speak. Um, as creative content producers, however, though, we all need to engage with our audience better. We've got to deliver our broadcasts, our recordings, our books, our artworks, our pieces of music to an audience in exactly the way they want it, on whatever platform they want it, and when they want it. It's no, no longer good enough to be in the, analog, the old analog world where we just do one performance or we do one broadcast and then it just gathers dust for the rest of time. Um, it, those days have long gone and I think we, need, we all need to embrace that challenge. That also forces us to engage with rights and rights holders. And in that respect, we all need to act responsibly, fairly and also innovatively. We need to think about innovative new models. And we need to find a way of delivering our content, uh, our great content, legally. That's, that's the most important thing. 
So, as I said, I'm just going to spend about 20 minutes covering uh, a bit about what we do and come on to some practical advice at the end. Okay. So, um, I work in a department called Talent and Rights Negotiation Group in the BBC. Um, we're part of BBC Vision, but we undertake rights uh, work and clearances and assessments across the whole of the BBC. So, it's audio music uh, online as well. Uh, we negotiate the agreements for in-house productions. We commission independent productions. We sometimes, well, we often deal with sports rights and cover clear rights for news programming. And we also uh, acquire the rights to use feature films and acquired series for the BBC to broadcast. So there's a, there's a huge uh, gamut of activity that we do. Just a quick reminder of um, how rights are at the heart of everything we do at the BBC. Um, we are a creator. We invest over two billion pounds on creative, in the creative economy in the UK every year from our license fee. We buy intellectual property, and we also sell our intellectual property through BBC Worldwide, our commercial arm, all around the world in various platforms, um, not only broadcast, but online and digital space as well. And we always have to remember the tricky balance here between the public service and the commercial arenas. We also need to remember that our changing audience needs, and I've mentioned that before, uh, transformative technology, uh, this public service commercial balance, and not forgetting the intense competition that's out there now, not just for us as a broadcaster, but uh, generally speaking, there's a lot more players in the market now. And there's some big, wealthy online players as well. Whether that's Google or Apple, they're all vying to get into this market to, to buy content, to buy intellectual property rights, sometimes exclusively so that they can dominate or try and dominate the market. Value for money, we've all always got that at the BBC in terms of delivering better value back to the license fee payer and continuous improvement. We have challenges. We've got the regulatory challenges. We've got fragmentation of the audience. They're all eyeballs and ears are going everywhere now. Uh, we've got audiences who want to own, store, use, and share their content. And we've got increased rights awareness, um, not only by the public. You just see the recent sports deals for the Premier League and how much money is being paid for those rights. That gets into the newspapers now, and generally people are aware of rights and the cost of rights. And, but lastly, we do have opportunities. And certainly at the BBC, we, as I said, we invest uh, a lot of money into the creative economy of the UK. We have uh, a global brand. We can use worldwide very effectively for uh, rights holders and <laughs> artists and key talent around the globe to develop them. It's a great showcase. And also, we've got multimedia quality on all <coughs> platforms. So, just some figures, it's just demonstrating the scale of what we have to deal with. Uh, we issue over 300,000 contracts a year at the BBC for contributors and rights clearances. We have 600,000 rights payments or contributor payments every year. 200,000 items of music every week are reported to the music collecting societies. Thankfully, not manually. <laughs> um, and uh, we have over 200 staff in rights and business affairs as a whole. And that, that's shrinking, by the way. That seems a, lot of money, it seems a lot of money and people, but it's actually 
not a lot when you look at the scale of what we do. Now, I've mentioned before that transformative technology, often the BBC um, is at the forefront of developing that technology, and I spend a lot of my days um, talking to people in future media and research and development about what's coming up, always trying to keep ahead of the game and um, to see what the right challenges are that are coming up. And just to demonstrate uh, this as a quick example, new technologies such as the iPlayer are, do pose us very complex rights challenges um, in clearing material, and particularly archive material. It took us about eight years to negotiate the rights for iPlayer. I personally spent three years of my life working on iPlayer, getting that ready. Um, so I was there, and I know, <laughs> I know the, the pain we went through to get that. But we did it, and we got there. Um, we reached 70 new agreements, and even now, uh, five years later, to the day pretty much, um, we still have some issues with certain rights holders. So it's not, it's not a complete 100% success rate. And that's after eight years or more. Just a quick scary slide disclaimer, just to mention that <laughs> um, unlike Anthony, I'm not a lawyer. I know where to find very good ones. But um, what I am a, is a negotiator and I am obviously experienced about rights. But um, just to say that whatever I say today shouldn't be taken as kind of formal legal advice and you should go and get professional legal advice where you can about rights. Um, so, quick and piece. more expensive lawyers are available. More expensive lawyers are available, quite, exactly. Far more per hour than I get, I get to charge. So, quickly, uh, forgive me for those of you who know this, but I just wanted to get us all up to the basics. Um, what is copyright? So, in a couple of slides, what is it? Well, it's the legal protection given to the creator or the author of an original literary, dramatic, artistic, or musical work, or other works, such as sound, film, uh, broadcasts, and typographical arrangements can also be protected by copyright. Um, that gives that creator control over when and how copies are made of that work. And, um, it is granted automatically when that work is created. You don't have to register it. Um, uh, but it has to be substantial, so a work of the brow, as it's called. And it also has to be in material form. So you can't, you know, going down the pub and thinking up a great idea to tell all my friends, that's not a copyright work. You have to have a material form. You have to write it down or draw it or bring it alive. Rights holders are protected uh, with something called moral rights, uh, which uh, enables them to also assert those rights. So to be identified as the author of that work or the creator of the work, that's the paternity right. The integrity right, so not allowing your work to be adapted, modified, altered, bastardized, mixed, edited, you name it. Um, some people want to do it. Um, and you, can, uh, that you don't have to assert that right. That's yours already. And lastly, the privacy right. That's more to do where you're commissioning a photographer, for example, and you want to use those photographs um, as a, that you've commissioned um, privately for your own domestic and private uses. So, copyrights aren't trademarks. There's a subtle difference, and trademarks are more about the commercial protection of a symbol or brand. Um, and... Uh, there's lots of commercial examples of that. Copyrights have different durations, uh, usually 70 years from the end of the year of the death of the author or creator. 
um, or 50 years from the first publication or release in some instances. Um, some things like Crown Copyright, I believe, are 125 years. So um, that was when I last looked. So um, There's a difference between assignments and licenses, and you can assign your copyright, your complete copyright or your part of your copyright, to somebody else. Uh, or you can license it bit by bit to different users, and you can, you can offer exclusive licenses or non-exclusive licenses. So you can either sell to one person or license to one person, or you can sell to everybody. Um, and obviously, the values of those licenses will vary depending on how exclusive they are. There are some exceptions to copyright, uh, where you can use copyright works freely without clearance or permission. Um, a couple of those are what we call fair dealing, where you can use a, a fair amount of the work, of the complete work, to, for criticism and review purposes. But we always say to program makers, that's got to be genuine criticism and review, uh, not this is the top, my top 10 favorite pieces of art. Um, it's got to be a proper critique of the work and the author. And, uh, and the, um, we also uh, sometimes use the um, insubstantial argument that something is not substantial of the whole work, um, but that's quite a quite a, a subjective area, and we try not to use that. Interestingly, we should also make the point that just because it's online, it doesn't mean it's free to use. And I'm sure a lot of you in this room know this already, but um, just to make the point that some people still are out there who believe that because it's up online, it's okay to use and copy and right-click and copy. So we have literary works, including all of those. We have musical works, both the mechanical, the sound recording itself, or the commercial sound recordings. So if you use a CD in your uh, installation or gallery, etc., You have the underlying musical composition, and you also have grand rights, which are uh, quite complex. It's more to do with dramatico-musical works, such as operas, musicals, and ballets. Um, artistic works. Interestingly there, you've also got, as well as the original artworks or photograph, you have the transparency. So somebody taking a photograph of an artwork, they own the transparency, that, that copyright. Um, and also architectural plans, etc., are copyright protected. And performers, uh, actors, singers, musicians, and including stuntmen, who are also on equity contracts as far as we're concerned, so they fall under that bracket. Footage, film, stock shots, sports rights, we lump those together, and um, other, other rights, so databases, directors, choreography, and even recipes are classed as copyright works in some cases. I'm not sure whether I'd agree with Delia Smith's How to Boil an Egg, but um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pass judgment on that one. We'll, we deal with various bodies, um, so all these are representative bodies of these artistic and literary and dramatic and musical works. Um, and we ha the BBC has framework agreements with all, most if not all of these, um, uh, where we agree certain terms and uses with these bodies. And as I said at the beginning, it's always good to try and get um, advice from these people because they know, they know what um, the terms are and they can also advise you on rates 
and try and uh, help you not setting unhelpful precedents. So, very quickly, I'm going to just go through the four different types of how we contract copyright holders and performers. We have all rights agreements, we have collective agreements, we have collective licenses, and we have agreed standard terms where possible. Sometimes we do bespoke agreements, but we try not to do that because that stores up uh, problems for the future, um, particularly when you start looking back at the archive and you have to dig out that bespoke contract and assess whether you have those rights. So an all rights model is a comprehensive rights grant where we're able to do anything we like with the, the uh, material within reason. Um, and of course, the BBC tries to act responsibly and with what we do with, with the material. Some of these are, are actually under staff contracts. Um, so the BBC orchestras, for example, are all under staff. Uh, employees, TV and radio presenters, and what we call talks contributors, where people come in and are interviewed or are guests on programs. They tend to be on an all rights basis. We have collective agreements where we determine, as I mentioned before, with the framework body, the representative body, um, we determine the rights granted and the payment models depending on the subsequent uses of the material we make. And that can cover actors, scriptwriters, freelance musicians. Um, and usually, in that instance, we can apply retrospectively the terms. So, say for example, with equity, we can agree something with equity and that then applies collectively going back with all those members. So it's a very useful model for us. Um, and we don't have to keep digging out old contracts. Collective licensing, that, or blanket licensing, that's also sometimes called, is where we have a big collective license. And this is what we would have with the music industry, where we write a check once a year, we report our use to that body, and they disseminate the monies amongst their members. Um, again, that's very helpful for the BBC because we, as long as we report those 200,000 items of music every week, um, we're able to, able to use it and we agree the terms in which we're able to use that music. We also have uh, an agreement with the directors on this basis. And lastly, standard terms agreements where possible. So we have in place standard terms agreements for artistic works, photographs, published material with the Publishers Association and Society of Authors, for example, and also film sequences. We have our own um, uh, license agreement, which we try and in, in, in put in place. Um, it does avoid the need for individual, individual negotiations. Um, however, it does mean a lot of administration because we can't retrospectively apply that all the time. So, um, as I said, with the archive issues, that's more work for us. So those are the four um, up front for new works. So, just coming on to, well, what's, what's, the, what's the process we go through of checking rights when we look at material that we want to use? What we always do is start with the program rights. So, who actually owns the program itself? Is it the BBC? Is it... An independent company? Is it um, a distributor who's swept up all the rights? Um, that's the first question. Before we start looking at who's in the program, we always start with the program rights on that basis. We also look at whether that's commercially exploited currently um, to start seeing and assessing whether there's going to be some issues or arguments why they wouldn't grant us those rights. 
So is it currently on Amazon for sale? Is it on DVD? Is it sold abroad? Is it sold in the UK? Um, we ask all those questions. Are there distribution rights under license? Whether that's with Worldwide, BBC Worldwide, is it with some other distributor who's got uh, a certain amount of period of time to exploit those rights? Um, that's another question. And under this bracket, we also say, is there any acquired film in that material? Um, because that can lead into a whole raft of different processes, um, because each piece of audiovisual content can include all those contributors that I've been through earlier on. And then when you move on to contributor rights, so once you've got the program rights sorted out, you move on to contributor rights, and that can involve all those people I've said. The older the material, the increased the, ri the risk. The risk goes up. Because of the old paperwork, we can't find contracts. Um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't even have online rights, as far as I know, well, 20 years ago, maybe, um, uh, or on demand rights. So, you know, we're not going to be in that position. We know that. But it's, you know, where you, you may find that they've been bought out all rights and you, you don't have any further work to do. Um, but that, that does ramp up the administration and it ramps up the time that you'll need to clear rights. However, don't assume that it's all going to be difficult. You know, I'm not here to kind of say it's all doom and gloom and rights is a horrible thing to get into. It's not. And you can actually find your way through it. And some rights have already been acquired, or you just need to pay something. Um, so, so please don't go away with the impression that it's all horrible. Um, and as I said, seek, seek advice from respected organizations. So basic questions. Start with the basic. What do you want to use? What actual work is required? What copyright work is there in what do you want to use? What use is to be made of it? Where's it going to go? Where will it be accessed? Is it online? Is it a radio? Is it a, um, a phone? Is it an app? Is it, you know, you name it, you've got to decide. And is it going to be free or pay? That's quite a critical thing to, to, to decide up front. Uh, but you quickly move on, particularly in the online space, you quickly move on to other more tricky questions. So is it live broadcast or is it making available where someone can go and watch it or access it as and when they want to? Is it streamed or downloadable? If it's downloadable, is it protected with digital rights management so that it's downloadable just for a certain period of time and then it goes up in a puff of smoke? Or is it permanently downloadable where someone can keep it and go off and do what they like with it. Temporary or permanent? Public service free or commercial? If commercial, what type of exploitation? So you can see the kind of questions we straight away get into when somebody comes and asks us to clear the rights. Um, is it a closed environment or is it open? If open, UK only or global? And some of the rights and the exceptions are UK only. So fair dealing, we would advise that fair dealing is only in the UK. There's similar provisions abroad, but you, can, you shouldn't rely on them. Um, therefore, you should actually clear it if you're going to go global. And lastly, but not least, is the user going to be able to manipulate or reuse the content? Um, and that is something that rights holders, uh, we did a pilot in 2005 called the Creative Archive Pilot, which essentially offered online BBC archive content for people to manipulate, re-edit, um, and that was it. probably the most challenging rights project I've ever done for, uh, from a rights holder's point of view. Um, 
but we got there with some content. The other thing to say on that is that some rights holders are very, very open to that kind of use, and others are completely down the other end of the spectrum and very resistant and protective of their rights. Um, and that's, that should, you should be aware of that. So, all in all, it's complex. <laughs> and it's like layers of onions, where you start peeling away the onions. And then someone else said when I showed that slide, they said, yes, but it also makes you cry as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> very good. Um, so, just a quick bit of advice and to kind of helpful advice. You know, when you start looking at use of archive, from our perspective, um, we try and advise people the rights light areas, if you like. So where, where are the areas where you, can't, you won't get snared and snagged up in complex rights issues? Well, we've got a, quite a big stock shots or stock film library where it's just general, general scenery, general landscapes, buildings, etc. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in there that we can draw on that's got no rights holders whatsoever. Um, local news is often all rights. Uh, general events and observational documentaries where everybody has um, signed up kind of release forms and the presenters on all rights, etc. You've still got music in some of those programs which you need to look at. And um, also with those kinds of programs, you have to be very uh, responsible with your duty of care to contributors. So um, that's more a kind of editorial policy issue where you, you have to be very sensible about uh, members of the public some of them from the deep archive who might not want to be known as that person who was convicted for drunk driving or rape or, you know, there must be, might be some tricky subject areas to deal with and you've got to back responsibly. And then the rights heavy areas. So drama and comedy. Dramas, battle scenes, orchestras, they can involve hundreds of contributors. Um, Documentaries, because they're stuffed full of, um, particularly the history documentaries, stuffed full of acquired film, um, stills, artworks, um, uh, ditto arts and culture, um, some of which may have been cleared under fair dealing originally, um, but if you want to reuse them, that might not always apply, so you need to be careful there. And music performances, so pop and classical, um, particularly, where you, particularly where you've got signed artists, what we call signed artists who are with the major record labels, um, and you're doing a retrospective about that particular artist. Um, I've been, I'll be very interested in hearing a bit later about the John Peel archive, because um, I know they, they found a pretty neat way of getting music onto the site, uh, which I was really impressed with, and I'm looking forward to the, um, the sessions later on. Just a quick demonstration. <laughs> Uh, um, I can't do a BBC presentation without mentioning Doctor Who, really, can I? Um, uh, this was a, a slide done a little while ago now um, to demonstrate how many contributors are in an average episode of Doctor Who. And um, so it was broken down into all those areas, and as you can see, there's a significant amount of contributors just in an average episode. Um, and uh, even down to the, who owns different monsters in Doctor Who. Um, and the Daleks famously are owned by um, Terry Nation, the estate of Terry Nation and the BBC. We share, share the ownership of that. But, you know, it can get very complicated. And then when you move on to how you exploit Doctor Who, that gets even more complicated because some rights are cleared up front, some we just pay, and some we have to go back and negotiate. And that just demonstrates, depending on what you want to do with it, who we have to go and contact. Um, 
<laughs> and that's why, that's why there's 200 people plus in rights and business affairs and clearing secondary rights. We're trying to make this a lot simpler, by the way. You know, we are, we are, we, 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 this hasn't run us, passed us by that this is really complicated. Um, and we, we've, we've actually just come to the end of a three-year um, project or initiative um, called Project 2, which is just a quick aside, uh, is, is called Project Touch Once Only. And that's all about how we can stop picking that contract up time and time again, depending on what type of use um, people make of it and program makers and worldwide make of our programs. And that's all about making, getting certainty up front about whatever we want to do from a public service or possibly commercial basis how we can get to the position where we agree a model or have the mechanism to clear new uses up front uh, with the representative body so that we don't end up putting millions of pounds of the license fee into kind of rights reclearance and picking up those contracts about 70 different times. Because um, that's what we do. That's, that's the trouble with rights. So, uh, lastly, areas to avoid. Um, and this is something just from our own practical experience, really. So sport, sports clips are incredibly expensive, for one thing, and very complicated. And you have to go to the sports body to get the clearance. It's, even though the BBC owns the footage of our 1948 Olympics, we actually have to go to the IOC and clear the rights for the sport itself. Similarly with football, boxing, tennis, you name it. Um, so that can add a layer of complexity and expense, and they are very litigious as well. And they will come after you if you've used your sports clip uh, and heft, uh, put, a, put a hefty fine on you. Um, historical docs, uh, I mentioned that already. Acquired programming, well, that's not the BBC's, but essentially, you know, if you want to go and use a clip of Mad Men or a feature film, Hollywood feature film, you're looking at getting your checkbook out in a serious way. Um, thousands of dollars per minute. Um, and last but not least, royal events. We have to have some sensitivity there about royal events, not because of the Queen's Gate um, scandal a few years ago, but generally we have to um, uh, be aware of the palace and um, royal, royal uh, uh, events featuring the royals. Just a quick note on crediting. Um, copyright holders, as I said before, un unless waived, Unless they waive these rights, they have the moral right to uh, be identified as the author of the work or the creator. So you should bear that in mind. YouTube or Twitter aren't the authors. The people who make the footage, stills or text, are the authors. Um, there are, as some of you know, Creative Commons type licenses or Creative Commons licenses where accreditation is actually the only requirement. And you may have spotted, there's been a couple of photographs I've used which have been used under the Creative Commons license, and I've credited their name underneath. Um, but that's fine. So it's just essentially making sure you credit the right people, and they'll usually be happy, actually. So, just to wrap up, um, common clearance issues. So, if somebody was coming to me saying, well, what do I do with rights? You know, where, where do I start? Well, I say, first thing is, give yourself plenty of time. Don't run out of time. You, you can deliver fantastic, great projects um, and products when you give yourself adequate research time, contracting time, and clearance time when you're doing your planning. Um, and just don't run out of time. 
Um, it's always best to agree the uses uh, and stick to them, or you build a kind of clear, phased approach of where you want to go with your project, um, rather than scope creep, as I call it, where you go, oh, actually, we want to do this now, or we want to do that, or we go that way and that way. And it makes it a complete nightmare for the person negotiating the rights, because you've actually then got to go back and renegotiate certain different rights with the rights holder, unless you've bought out all rights. Um, so so try, and, try and nail down what you need to do up front, um, budget appropriately, not only for the rights payments, and as I've said, some of them are really expensive, but also uh, including uh, the underwriting the risk if you can't find people, um, or an await claim fund, as we call it. So you've, you've made strenuous efforts to find a rights holder, you can't find them, just put some money aside to make sure that if they put their hand up and come out of the woodwork, you can pay them. Uh, but also, importantly, the clearance resource. So finding somebody that can do the clearance for you. And that was it. Find a rights expert if you can. <laughs> there are a number of freelancers out there. There's one in the room already. Fiona Nurberg over there, who's ex-PBC. Um, and uh, there are people out there who are rights experts who, who are kind of um, can be subcontracted. Or lawyers. Prioritize the material and have backups. If material is unclearable or too costly, because it can be sometimes, um, then editing costs need to be factored in. And I would argue it's important to have clear management of the project. So who makes that final decision of what's in or what's out in terms of the copyright work in your project? And lastly, if you're serving program material, including music, whether if you're, so for example, if you're serving it online, you will need a, uh, a license from the music collecting societies to either broadcast or make available content. Um, but they will help you on that. They will, they have, they're readily set up to help you on getting those licenses. So, very practical, I hope, um, and a quick whistle, whistle stop through. Um, but, uh, Thank you, Ben. That's great. Um, there we go. Round of applause. Um, so I'll come out for questions as soon as you have any. I'll start with one. Um, so lots of um, that applies clearly mainly to archive, or you focused on archive. It, what if I'm sort of one step upstream? What if I'm, a, say, a performing arts organisation, and I've got to get in a position where the work coming off my stage can be used? Is that is it very different, or are there common themes and issues? Do you mean used online? Yeah, used online. Um, that's a good question. I, I would argue that equity probably advise um, right. you know, in terms of performance rights um, of live events online. I know, I know the National Theatre, for example, have an agreement in place with the Writers Guild and equity um, for beaming their live plays to cinemas around the globe. So, you know, there, there are some people very, uh, you know, forward-looking and are doing those deals with those rights organisations. Right. So your advice would be go and ask somebody who's done it already? Correct. Well, if you can. If, if you can. Unless you're the first person doing it. Which, which you're some, usually some, not. Sometimes, sometimes I suppose you are. Um, any particular questions out there? If you do the usual thing, tell us who you are and where you come from. I think there's a mic just coming in from behind you. Thank you. I'm Sebastian Scotney. I, I, I edit the London Jazz site. I was just really interested in the concept of fair dealing and to know if that's been elaborated or if there is 
Uh, yeah, if, the, if, if there's a source material somewhere for what fair dealing consists of. It's a new, okay. it was a new concept to me. Okay. Um, it, I, I've um, spoken to Linda um, Coburn about um, the Arts Council actually getting the link on their site to the IPO, the Intellectual Property Office. I was having a look at their site over the last few days in preparation for this, and the, it, they do offer a fantastic site um, about intellectual property, what, you know, what copyright is, what fair dealing is, and, they, and they've got really good guides there about what, everything I've touched on. Um, and I would heartily recommend going to see it. They also um, give you an update on where the legisl legislative process has got to. Um, so the Hargreaves report, uh, where Richard Hooper's got to on his consultation uh, about the digital copyright exchange, which is being looked at. So all of it's up there and where the, where the government have got to in terms of their thinking. So I would heartily recommend that site. The core notion of fair dealings about not restricting people's ability to have, the, 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 the sort of culture's ability to have a conversation about copyright works, isn't it, effectively? Yes, yeah, so, so I mentioned criticism and review, and then the other one is reporting a current event. So uh, news, you rely on fair dealing a lot, um, where you can use a, a piece of the copyright work. If, Say, for example, you're reporting on the death of an artist or a, or a creator or a writer, um, you can show a piece of their work um, under that exception to the Copyright Act. Okay, great. Can here. Timon from Project Pressure. So let's say if, if, if you're doing a crowdsourced project um, and you're crowdsourcing your content, which is uh, a thing that both the Arts Council and, and some of these seminars have been dealing with, who's ultimately responsible for the legal legality, the right clearance of that content? Is that the, the, the crowd, as in that individual uploading a picture or participating, or is it you as an organization? And any uh, advice on going about that? Because that's adding an extra layer to this uh, already sure. complex yeah. issue. Okay. Sure. okay. Um, I would argue that as an arts organization, you should be getting advice on an agreement that they would accept when they were submitting content. Um, I would also be try and act responsibly in terms of making them aware that they need to clear underlying rights that I've been through. Um, so if they're using music, they should go and get the clearance before they post it up to you. Um, uh, it's an interesting one because the rights holder may decide, well, I'm, I'm actually going to go, I'm going to contact the arts organisation first because they're the bigger entity rather than try and find an individual who's breached my rights. Um, so, you know, we, we find that often. <laughs> Whether they come to the BBC first because they know where we are and they can find us rather than the user who may have posted something up online. Yeah. Um, so in terms of use, um, act responsibly in terms of advising people. Just you know, If you're doing something in your living room and you're posting a, a blog up online or something on, you, know, you filmed, then make sure that the, you know, the music's not on in the background with a commercial sound recording because we might not be able to use it. I suppose the key, one of the things you said earlier was do it at the beginning. Don't put it up there and assume it'll be okay. Correct. Even more the case in this sort of area? Uh, uh, yes, and also, you know, hopefully this kind of session will make people more familiar with what to look out for. Uh, and, and as an organisation, you should be kind of have this in the back of your mind and go, actually, we can't use that bit because there's a television in the background with a piece of the World Cup in, you know, and we know that if somebody spots that, 
um, they might come after us. Isn't there a famous example of a documentary of some one of the American orchestras where they eventually couldn't air the documentary because in the back of the pit, somebody, a percussionist, was watching The Simpsons and it was caught in shot. I don't think that's made up. Uh, that might be very well yeah, the case. In an, and they wanted, you know, end tens of thousand dollars to, to clear the, to a little bit of The Simpsons, which is in the back of the shot. Another gent here. Um, uh, Tom Morgan from the National Portrait Gallery. Um, uh, as, as you rightly say, um, people do come to the BBC first, and um, uh, in terms of um, uh, people who are putting together these, these uh, projects and doing rights clearances, um, uh, your advice is to go to somebody who's done it before. You've done it before, and I wonder, <laughs> I, wonder I mean, this, you know, this is a, a very useful event, and the, the work of the Academy is very useful, but I wonder whether you also actually make... Um, uh, some elements of your contracting um, kind of uh, available as templates um, or, or even some of your processes available as, as templates for, for other arts organisations? Yes. Um, no, that's a very good point, Tom, actually. And um, we've, we've recently... You know, we, the, the BBC is fantastic, and that's why I love working here so much, is because we are so forward-thinking. And we just signed an agreement with the writers... Guild and Personal Managers Association a couple of weeks ago, which is going to completely transform writers' um, contracting, uh, where we where we are where they are setting up a collective body themselves, to, and we can license collectively with writers now, right. um, and hopefully we yeah. can we can start pushing that model out um, to a wider field. The other thing we do, which is a, a very good thing we do, is um, for independent productions we have something called Fast Clear yeah. for music, where they can use our online clearance system for music, where as long as they're uh, using a certain type of music and a certain label and it's not part of the main signature tune of the series, uh, they're not doing um, parody, they're not uh, doing um, reversions of it where they sing different lyrics, um, you know, they can use it under our blanket license and it's automatically reported through online to the collecting societies. So what I'd like to see is something similar where we can open up the technology to kind of do really quick rights clearances um, where the information gets through to the rights holders or their representative bodies, um, but it can all be done automatically, you know, 24-7. It's not kind of waiting for the phone on the Monday morning to pick the phone up to someone um, to then go and get permission. It's like, as long as you're doing this, 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 you're free to use it. I should probably oh, know really this, but was that done for the space, or could it have been done for the space? Um, I, don't think, I don't think it was. It's slightly different. Yeah, different. I think that's cool. a slightly different model. But maybe down the line. Okay, we've got time for one more. Sorry, do you want to follow up? Quick one, yeah. It, it, it sounds like um, the BBC is sort of uh, uh, potentially claiming uh, some space around um, the, the general concept of the digital copyright exchange in facilitating these kinds of... Uh, um, these kinds of uh, licensing activities? Um, I'm not sure whether we're doing a kind of land grab on the digital copyright exchange, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I think we've got enough to do um, <laughs> as it is, um, but we're certainly feeding into Richard Hooper and, um, and, and sharing some of the issues and some of the problems we have, actually. So, yeah. I haven't, I'm one of Hooper's 12 advisors. I haven't noticed uh, them land grabbing, but maybe no. I wasn't at the right meeting. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, it's no, actually no, helpful. Yeah, it's, maybe I inferred from that. What about so? And, and uh, certainly, when we started in my commercial life, doing lots of things for online, we looked at Pact at the Producers Alliance for Cinema and Television and standard contracts that had existed there. Mm -hmm. 
because they at least have the right bits in, even if the amount of money involved is yes. sort of screwy. Yes. Is that well, uh, again, wrong? Again, we, the BBC you know, has framework agreements in place with all those bodies I went through and more. We have about 70 different agreements. Um, you know, they, they are probably up online with those bodies. Uh, the Writers Guild published their agreements with the BBC, so you, know, you can quite freely go and see what the terms are that the BBC negotiates with, with those bodies and um, get some guidance that way. Okay, we've got time for one more, I think, just here. Um, yeah, my name's Natasha, I run a company called Creatorbot. I represent a lot of independent artists. Hi, Natasha. And um, I was just run wondering, you know, you spoke about how it can cost thousands of pounds just to run a short clip of a film. Um, I was wondering how that works when it comes to, like, indie films and showing, showing indie, clips from indie films and whether the money for the rights goes to the independent to the company with that or whether that's something that because they're being given promotion you don't, the BBC don't pay for? There's a sort of point uh, of principle and there's a point of negotiation okay, in that, really, is there? That's a very good question. I, I, I guess it depends whether the independent filmmakers signed up with a di distributor, uh, whether they've got uh, some sort of license, uh, an agency agreement with uh, a big film library. Um, that might be the case. So you'd have to find that out first and whether it goes through an agency. Um, if not, direct, I guess. I was just wondering in regards to like when obviously artists or creators need promotion, how, how often is it that rights are given for, to, for free to the BBC? Sure. Do you know mm. what I mean? That's yeah, a slightly different question, but interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was saying to someone at lunchtime that, you know, what often you find that when artists or creators are starting out, you know, they're very keen to get their work out there to, to make their name and build their career. And they're perfectly willing to give stuff away promotionally and freely just to get their name out there. Um, interestingly, though, when they start getting up the, the kind of career ladder, um, their agents advise or they start saying, actually, yes, I'm actually starting to make quite a good living out of this and I actually want to protect my rights slightly more. Um, so you get into an interesting situation. However, there are some very big... Um, big names out there um, who actively give stuff away for promotional purposes. And I was talking to one uh, agent of a, a, co a comedy agent uh, recently who was saying that her clients uh, are usually in one camp or the other. They're either very restrictive, lockdown rights, don't allow people to use it and put it up online. And then there's the other extreme where big names are giving away promotional clips of some of their performances to start a viral marketing campaign online, and that then drives live performances in yep. different territories. So she was saying that um, you know, <coughs> X name is fantastically big in Russia, and they're all clamoring for this person to come over and do a live tour, which is where the money is. You know, the live performances are where the money is now. So you know, that's a very good example where you know, you, even when you're a big name, you can still drive promotional use. Okay, great. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are lots of other questions, but in the interest of staying on yeah, time, sure. um, I'd yeah. say thank you very much to Ben for a really informative um, session there. He's around if he wants to take drive. Thank you, Ben. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. <laughs>